0: Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Will Duffin, GP and Education Lead. If you're a paramedic, doctor, nurse, physio, or indeed anyone working in healthcare who has a curious and adventurous mind, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I'm sure, like me, after all the doom and gloom in the media, perhaps you're in need of something a bit uplifting and inspirational. Well, our guest today is exactly that, Sarah Thomas. Sarah Thomas. Uh, is now a world-famous marathon swimmer and is joining me from her home in Colorado. After crossing many great bodies of water, including Loch Ness, Lake Tahoe, Lake Powell in Utah, she set her sights on the English Channel, but she wasn't interested in just crossing it once. She set out to complete four consecutive crossings, that's a world first, and at age 37, On September the the 17th, 2019, she swam nearly 130 miles over 54 hours and 10 minutes to complete this feat, a feat that um, no other swimmer has previously uh, managed. And what makes this even more remarkable is that she completed this swim one year after finishing a course of chemoradiotherapy and mastectomy for breast cancer. Sarah lives with her husband in Denver, Colorado and when she's not swimming, she's actually a medical recruiter. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. How are things over there in Denver?
1: Oh, they're pretty good. The sun is out today, but I think we might get some snow this weekend. So
0: how bizarre um,
1: image of sunshine today
0: for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And how's uh, lockdown life treating you so far?
1: You know, it's all right. It's a little maddening, but um, cozy here with my husband and our dogs and we're both still able to work.
0: So that is a positive. Great, keeping yourselves busy. And, and your husband's not a swimmer, I understand.
1: No, he's not a swimmer at all. <laughs> um, we threw him in Lake Tahoe once and um, my friend and I had to d- debate if we were gonna let him drown or not. <laughs> Okay.
0: a little <laughs> but just for fun you left him for as long as possible
1: yes you definitely <laughs> left him as long as possible
0: <laughs> brilliant well um i'd love to explore some of your incredible swimming feats uh over the course of this this podcast but why don't we start at the very beginning what was it that drew you to open water swimming in the first place
1: Yeah, you know, it was one of those things, you know, I'd been a competitive pool swimmer my whole life, and as an adult, I joined a swim team kind of after university, and some of my friends on the swim team suggested that I give it a try, and I had never even considered open water swimming. I grew up in Texas, and the lakes there aren't very inviting. Um, Who knows what creatures you might encounter? And so it had never even crossed my mind to try it. And so um, they pushed me and, you know, took about a year and a half. And then I finally gave in and signed up for a 10K race in one of our lakes here. And I just completely fell in love with it.
0: Wow. What was it about, because you started out in the pool and very competitive environment, what was it about transitioning from that to big open bodies of water? That, that really captured your imagination, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think there's two pieces of it. Um, the first piece is, you know, I always enjoyed training and you know, long, hard workouts. And I never really loved, like, competition in the pool. Um, so some of open water is, it's just so much more about pushing your own limits and, you know, doing your personal best rather than, beating everybody else. You know, it's not, you know, it's competitive, but it's not, you know, super intense competition like you get in pool racing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other piece of it is I just really love being outside, you know, the sky above you. And, you know, you can just go with no walls to worry about, you know, doing a flip turn and no lane lines to hold you back. You can just really feel so much more free and Mm -hmm. um, at the elements. It's just a much more natural experience than being in a chlorinated torture box
0: yeah and one of the great places that you've swam is lake powell in utah and that sounds like a really stunning place can you describe what that swim was like
1: yeah it was um just beautiful um we went in early fall and you know the water was still warm the air temperatures were just a little bit crisp and the lake is really long lake. Um, but it's fairly narrow. And so you're just kind of swimming through these canyons with these big, tall, red rock walls all around you and just, you know, blue sky on top of you. And it was just one of the most surreal, serene places that I've ever been. Just beautiful, clear water. You know, I could see fish and just really remote. You know, at night we could see shooting stars. It was just, um, probably one of the most stunning places I've ever been in the
0: water. Wow. I can really picture that. And for uh, all of us self-isolating lockdown armchair adventurers listening to this, Sarah, we can, you know, we can really, uh, um, we can really conjure that up in our, in our minds. So you, you, you'd swam, uh, you, you, you've had a, quite a long swimming career and you, you, you you've gone from a competitive environment. you swam all through school uh, then you uh were developing your ocean is your open water swimming uh, and then you decided to take on the world's most polluted and busy shipping lane that the little stretch of water between the u k and france what why the english channel
1: yeah, you know um I had swum the English channel one time in two thousand and twelve, and you know I didn't get it you know um there's all these other places you can swim and um you know it was just kind of a a box to check you know everyone swims the english channel and you know i set off to do it just kind of you know checking a box and when i was in the water in 2012 it just became this magical experience and when i came out of the water in france you know i was i don't know it's just one of those moments you're like wow You know, and I don't think you can really understand the magnitude of what you have done until you actually accomplish that. Uh, In if I'm talking to people about my marathon swimming, you know, and I've done a hundred mile swim, I've done an eighty mile swim, I've done this fifty mile swim. um, They don't care. All they want to know is, well, have you done the English Channel? You know, there's just that history and just it's a it's a special place, and it holds a special place in marathon swimming. And so, you know, any swimmer who does a couple of marathon swims, you know, they want to swim the English Channel. And then it's just, it's a magical, a magical place. So when you start thinking about ways that you can go longer or further, you know, the English Channel obviously comes to mind um, kind of at the top of the list as a cool place to do a really long swim.
0: And since the first, the very first crossing of the English Channel by a swimmer, which I think was in the late 1800s, please correct me if I'm wrong. There's been a long history. Um, Would you say that the the channel in marathon swimming is like Everest for mountaineering?
1: Yeah, I think people definitely make that comparison. Um, It's fun to tell people that more people have climbed Everest than have swum the English Channel. Um, it's definitely a different type of a challenge for sure, but yeah, they're definitely comparable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, I can, the, swimming a channel just once, let alone four times in one go is, is no small feat. And that obviously takes some planning and preparation. Can you give us a sense of just the scale of planning that this required and what kind of team you needed to assemble to make this feat possible?
1: Sure. So um, the English channel, uh, there is a wait list. So when you can't just decide, you know, in January that you want to swim the English channel in August. So I was, um, I talked to a boat captain in early of 2017. Um, When you're going to go four times in a row, you need a really big window of time because the weather is fairly unpredictable. So um, when I approached my boat captain and I used the same boat captain that I had used for my first swim for the second one, I just, he, he impressed me in my first swim and there was no one else I wanted to try this with other than him. And so I emailed him and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, first of all, do you want to help me? Um, Cause I, you know, it's a big commitment on there. And, and then the second question is, when can we go? And he didn't have a big enough window um, when I was talking to him in like January or February 2017 until September of 2019. That was the first possible opportunity that he had where he could dedicate a couple of weeks to my swim and so that's the first piece is you know you book your swim and English Channel is nice because the boat captains have years and years of knowledge and they've taken hundreds of swimmers across so you know, they understand what the tides and the currents are going to do. So in some aspects, planning the swim was easier than some of the other long swims I've done that have been more self-supported where I had to, you know, rely on friends to navigate and, you know, do the GPS plots and, you know, all of those aspects. So English Channel is nice. You don't have to worry about that. But then the other piece is finding my own team um, who can be on the boat to handle my feeding and my mental needs and, just to make sure that I'm taking care of. So there's two pieces in the planning, the boat people and then my people. Um, and it does, it takes a lot to find people who can, you know, travel for two weeks away from their jobs and their families and people who don't get seasick and, you know, who actually want to sit on a boat and watch me do something for 54 hours because it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not exactly a, a spectator sport, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of long hard slog, um, making yeah. really slow progress. So, you know, it's a, it's definitely an adventure.
0: Absolutely. And what was the makeup of your team? Who did you have on your boat, uh, by your side while you, were uh, swimming along?
1: Yeah. So English channel boats are small. Most of them are converted fishing boats. Um, the boat we used was a little bit larger, but they had pretty strict limitations on how many people I could bring. Um, so, first of all, they had to have three boat captains just to meet all the um, like the English regulations for shipping and boats. I don't know the technical terms. So, um, there's the main captain Eddie, and then um, his two sons as co or as kind of first mates, second captains um, to take over when Eddie needed a break. And then um, the Channel Swimming and Piloting Federation sends observers to make sure that I'm following all the rules. So there was two observers. And then I had five of my own people. Um, My husband was one of them. uh, My mom was one of them. And then I had three close friends who are swimmers um, who had all swum the channel and done some pretty incredible swims themselves. So those five people were really, truly responsible for, you know, keeping me on track and healthy and all of that stuff.
0: I see. Did you have uh, medical support of any kind?
1: You know, we didn't. Um, on a lot of my other longer swims that I have done, uh, my cousin is actually a paramedic. So he he has come on those longer swims um, for medical support. Um, one of the advantages of the English Channel is that it is one of the busiest shipping lanes um, and they can get medical support to you rather quickly if you need it. Um, so the Coast Guard is available. They can get you you know, yeah. back into England or over to Calais if you need it. So yeah, yeah. You know, that's definitely a considera- a consideration when you plan a long swim, because uh, it's important to make sure that if you crash, really. you know, or you hypothermic or something, that you have support.
0: Absolutely. So
1: it's always, it's definitely a top question to deal with when you're planning a long swim.
0: So you mentioned, um, if so presumably when you say the word crash, you mean if, if you hit the wall or you, you you know run out of run out of steam. Uh, and high you know that distance very very possible and hypothermia is another big thing are there any other kind of potential medical issues that you were preparing yourself for
1: Um, hypothermia is generally the top medical condition to be aware of Um, anytime you're in any body of water no matter what the temperature, you're at a risk um, for hypothermia after a long amount of time Um, and then you know definitely worried about you know like heart conditions and you know things like that you know obviously I've you know had a lot of medical tests done and we know that my heart is strong but you know a lot of people you know have heart attacks um, pulmonary edema is a, a big thing in the channel um, where you just get too much water in your lungs um, and I have heard terrifying stories of people you know taking on too much water um, and it puts you into a strange mental state um, And if you don't get medical attention pretty quickly, it can be catastrophic to you. So, you know, you're always thinking about those three things, especially in the English Channel.
0: Wow, and the pulmonary edema, is that just from swallowing salt water and that getting into your lungs? Is that what causes that? Mm -hmm.
1: I think, you know, it's really strange. Um, You don't hear about pulmonary edema too much in other swims. You hear about it fairly commonly in the English Channel. Um, and I don't know if that's just because there's more people out there. And so it kind of increases the chances of it happening, but you know, you're right at the water surface and if it's windy and choppy and you're fatigued, you know, it's easy to kind of inhale water and get water into your lungs. Um, and it's scary, you know, and all the English channel boat captains and their crew and observers know the signs of that. Mm -hmm. So if they think that's coming on, um, they'll they'll pull you out of the water in a heartbeat
0: yeah yeah and i i love the 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 images of you coming out of the water when you completed it you know people would be expecting you know, I, I grew up in the south coast of england i know how cold that water is even in the summer uh people would be expecting you to wear a wetsuit no you were just in a swimming costume and some goose fat
1: <laughs> yes um it's english channel swimming tradition um, that you don't wear a wetsuit. Um, the first person to swim the English channel back in the late 1800s was captain Matthew Webb and he did it just in a swimsuit and I do not even think he had goggles back then. Um, and that is just the tradition of English channel swimming rules. You, you know, if you want an official swim, you don't wear a wetsuit.
0: So those are the rules.
1: Yeah, that's the rules. (laughs) (laughs) You can wear, you know, just a regular old swimsuit. No, um, nothing special. Um, I just wear the swimsuit that I train in all summer. Cause so it's nice and mm-hmm. broken in and a swim, one swim cap and your goggles and your ear, earplugs, if that's what you want. And that's all.
0: Cause I mean, just exposing your bare skin ever 54 hours to the, th- those waters. Th- did you feel the, the, the cold at any point during your your swim or was the adrenaline just, just powering you through?
1: Yeah. You know, I have, you know, I've been open water swimming for 10 years um, 10 years ago, that would have been really cold and a really hard challenge, but, you know, I've been exposed to it and training in it and honestly, um, I wasn't cold, you know, that was like the least of my worries, um, during the swim, um, you know, I came out and I wasn't frozen. Um, yeah, yeah you know, it was just one of those things you prepare for it, you train for it and you can get used to an awful lot of things if you work hard at it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what was the lowest point during that swim, each of those four consecutive crossings? At which point were you thinking, man, this sucks?
1: Yeah. Um, So we started at midnight, which is a hard time to start a swim. Um, your, Your start time is guided based off of currents and tides, right? So that particular day in our weather window, um, we could either start at noon or at midnight and my boat captain really wanted to be in France during the daylight. Um, it's a little bit harder to get into shore. The currents are strange over there. Um, so he really wanted to be there in the daylight. So that meant starting at midnight. Um, I didn't sleep hardly at all that day um, leading up to it. I tried. Um, but when we hit the 24 hour mark, so we had done one lap and we were back in England. Um, basically right where I started it's midnight the next day. And I was sick. Something in my nutrition wasn't going quite right. And I had had some nausea and throwing up on that second, second lap. on am on my way back to England and we kind of hit the English coast and my friend gave me something solid to eat and I immediately threw it up. Um, and I was telling her, like, I, I'm i sick. I don't think that I can do this. You know, I think the exact words I said were, I don't have what it takes. And, you know, kind of not really crying, but, you know, feeling pretty sorry for myself. And, you know, she just looked at me and said, well, we've just got to swim back. So we'll see what it does. We'll see what happens when the sun comes up. And, you know, the next six hours between midnight and when daylight came was just miserable. I was Throwing up, I don't even know how many times. Um, you know, I did feel a little cold then, just because I was, you know, depleted in my nutrition, and it was miserable. It was terrible, um, and I didn't think <laughs> that I would make it <laughs> at all.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I, I, and what did? What do you think about all that time with your head down in the water? And uh, you must have a lot of time to think. What What kind of stuffs going through your your brain?
1: You know um people always want to know and you know it's so boring (laughs) um you know my goal is to get just kind of to a peaceful blank state where time just kind of drifts by really quickly um and when that's not happening it's tough um but then you start to think about more technical things like does my shoulder hurt you know am i putting my arm into the water in the right position am i finishing my stroke um, am I kicking? you know so you start just thinking you know really small about what your body is doing and um, you know what you can do to make it more efficient. you know you really don't think about how much further you have to go or how much longer um you need to be in the water or how far you've already swum you know you're really just contained into the movement and motion of your body and the rhythm and the routine of you know going through a swim
0: Wow um. Yeah, that's amazing. Do do you feel like you are able to get into a kind of flow state that swimming for you can be quite meditative?
1: Mm -hmm. It really is. You know, you just, it's really peaceful. You know, I don't necessarily do yoga, but you know, people who talk about, you know, having a good yoga practice, you know, you really just get in tune with your body and, you know, you're really present in the moment. And I think, you know, that happens to me when I'm swimming, you know, it's just it's, it's very calming and peaceful, truly. Um, and it's, it's a great feeling when you're in that moment. Um, sometimes it's really hard to get there. Um, and that is what makes the swim hard is when you can't find that peace internally.
0: Okay. What I'd like to do now, Sarah, is just rewind the clock back to 2017 when you were diagnosed with breast cancer. What was that like?
1: You know, it, it's, Definitely not something I would wish upon anybody else in this world. Um, in August of 2017, I had done a 104 mile swim in Lake Champlain. And, you know, it took me 67 hours of continual swimming. Um, you know, it's a record for the longest current neutral swim ever. And, you know, I did that in August. And then just a couple of months later, I got my breast cancer diagnosis. And it's really hard to go from feeling like you're at the top of your game, you can accomplish anything that you put your mind to, to being a cancer patient, where you have no control over your body, uh, very little control over your treatment plan. Um, You know, it just turns everything upside down.
0: Wow, it must've felt like a huge, huge setback. And it must've been quite terrifying.
1: Yeah, um, I think terrifying is the right word. Um, There was a lot of tears, you know, when you first get the diagnosis, you know, they don't, you know, there's a lot of testing that goes into it to find exactly what kind of breast cancer you have. And, um, you know, I was told I had a particularly aggressive form Um, and, you know, hearing that, you know, you just don't know. You know, is the treatment going to be effective? You know, is chemo going to work? Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, and it's just, there's just so much to take in, you know, so much information, so much to learn and, you know, processing all of that. And then, you know, you start to think, is this going to take away swimming? Because I don't know if I really want my world without being able to swim. Uh, you know, doctors early on, they don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, like they want to tell you that everything's gonna be fine, but until you start progressing through treatment and seeing how your body's going to react, you know, they can't give you any definitive answers as to whether or not you're gonna be fine. And it's hard. It was, you know, the first couple of months of that cancer diagnosis were awful. You know, mm-hmm. I I'm not really a crier, my husband's not a crier. Um, and there was a lot of tears um just trying to wrap your brain around what you're going through and figuring out how to handle it emotionally.
0: And what role did swimming play during your cancer treatment? Was that something that you could, that, that, that was helpful to you in, in, in terms of boosting your own resilience and, and getting through the experience?
1: Yeah, it was, um, I don't know that if I, if I didn't have swimming, I'm not sure how I would have managed to get through, especially chemo. Um, I swam, you know, three to four times a week during chemo. Um, it was something that my doctors and my nurses really encouraged me, um, to do as much, much as possible. I think historically people picture, you know, people going through chemo as just sick and weak and, you know, lay in bed and, you know, suffer. Um, and that was not my experience. Um, there's really good drugs out there to help, you know, help fight off some of the nausea. And so, you know, chemo was terrible and horrible, but it was definitely manageable uh, you know, obviously, I wasn't training at top level during chemo, but um, just getting in the water and being able to exercise and, you know, to do things that felt like me, it was really important. Um, and then also, you know, that English Channel swim was already booked. You know, that was already on the horizon. Uh, and so it was a goal, you know, and, you know, talking to my doctors about, this long-term goal, you may think you're nuts, but, you know, having that goal and something to look forward to, um, was really important to getting through all of my chemo treatment. It kept me focused. It kept me motivated. Um, you know, there's not too much time to wallow in self pity when you've got something bigger that you're trying to work towards.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, that sounds like it was a, yeah. So, so the, so the, the channel swim, you'd already booked that before the breast cancer diagnosis Wow. So you, you a, a big personal goal was like, I'm going to get this done, whatever happens. I'm just, I'm not going to let cancer kind of def- defeat me. Um, yeah. Wow.
1: You know, and you know, some people, you know, friends and, um, you know, some people in the medical in my medical team, you know, they suggested, well, maybe, maybe 2019 might be a little too soon. you're kind of pushing it a little bit. Mm. Um, think about pushing it back a year, maybe two. Um, and, no, I didn't, like, that wasn't really an option for me. It's not how you, you do know, things. Already, no, it's not, you know, and I'd already <laughs> had it booked and it was planned and um, we, we went for it. i um, going to do this. Amazing. Yeah, you know, one of the, so the way it works, you know, I'd already booked the English Channel Swim. Um, year before you swim, you have to pay your deposit. Uh, so, you know, my boat captain, Eddie, and I are friends on Facebook, so obviously he knew, Um, what I had been going through and he knew I had just finished treatment and he sent me this really nice email and he's like, I hate to ask you this young lady, but are you still, are you still planning to swim next year? Um, And I think I took maybe a day to respond to him and make sure that I was all in. Um, But yeah, I emailed him back and I was like, yep, we're going to do this, Eddie. I'm coming.
0: Wow. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, let's fast forward now to, can you take us, um, to the moment where you were on the beach, having completed four consecutive crossings of the English Channel, and you've just done it. How did that feel?
1: It felt like relief. <laughs> um, you know, I the last hour of that swim was really intense. Um, the currents were pushing us in very strange directions. They were really strong. Um, I could feel them pushing against me. So, you know, I spent the last hour of that swim really like giving it 110% everything that I had left in, in me to get through the currents. Um, So, you know, I was a little bit disoriented. I didn't, you know, we had been pushed up and down the coast all night. And so i had kind of lost track of exactly where we were. And, you know, so I'm just swimming, you know, my, my, crew is telling me to swim. you know, they're yelling and cheering and motivating me to, you know, get me in. Um, I've got a friend in the water next to me and, you know, he's telling me, go as fast as you can, go, go, go. Um, and I didn't know that if we were going to actually make it in until I saw the land underneath me. And so, you know, I like crawl out of the water. The pebbles on the Dover shore are not conducive to standing, even on a good day. So you know, crawling out and sitting there, like, where am I? Like, am I actually here? Did I do? Did I do this? You know, and there's crowds, there's TV cameras, um, and it was just one of those moments, like, wow, we did it, and I'm glad because <laughs> uh, someone put a towel around me, and I couldn't imagine anything feeling more delightful than just a dry towel.
0: <laughs> yes, I bet. And and I mean that must have felt m- m- incredible, having overcome the the kind of the the, the, m- the most terrible setbacks. You know, being diagnosed with cancer and actually achieving a world first like that—that that must have just been euphoric.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it. In some ways, I think it's still sinking in. You know, when you focus on something and work towards something for so long and then relatively speaking it goes by really fast um mm. when it's done you're like wow did that really happen was that me did i do that uh it's just it's an interesting feeling
0: yeah i bet and it's amazing i've, I've looked at your your route across the channel you you think uh between dover and calais it would be quite a straight line but actually due to the tides and the current it's just this massive saggy s shape uh you know it's the 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 least most direct route you could ever imagine that must have been so demoralizing being dragged around by the by the ocean
1: yeah well the plus side is you don't know any of that when you're in the water right the people on the boat know what's happening but when you're in the water you're just swimming you know your whole world revolves around one stroke at a time and making sure you're staying next to the boat next to you so you know i expected the s curve in a lot of ways um, there are spring tides and neap tides mm-hmm. um neap tides are typically when you swim the english channel um, because the currents are not as strong mm-hmm. um, so you're if we had gone on a neap tide it would have been a slightly more direct route but there still would have been the push and pull of the current mm-hmm. um, but just because of the weather um we were forced to go on a really strong Spring tide and spring tides are huge, and so that is what you saw was um, a really big, strong spring tide pushing me back and forth across the channel. Um, it really tested Eddie's knowledge of currents, so that yeah. uh, really a testament to his piloting ability that he landed right on the cap in France both times. Um, you know, that we actually did finish point to point swims. Um, and all four laps. I mean, that was not my swimming ability, that was his piloting ability. Um, wow. Because it's, his ability and knowledge is phenomenal. Um, you know, and I can't speak enough about Eddie and his skills as a boat captain to get me across the channel the way that we did.
0: Teamwork makes the dream work.
1: Yeah, definitely. We yeah. needed every single person on that boat to make this swim happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, um. What, what's next though? So, so you've done four crossings of the channel. Have you, got, have you cooked up any other madcap uh, swimming projects?
1: You know, um, this year, 2020, was always going to be kind of a, a break. You know, we had a, a pretty intense four years. Um, you know, I did 80 mile swim in Lake Powell in 16 and 100 mile swim in Champlain in 17. And then 18, obviously I had cancer and then in 2019 it was really a focus on this english channel swim and so there was just this you know it's just been a lot, four years of a lot of pressure so yeah. 2020 you know more for my husband you know let's go camping yeah. let's go fishing. Yeah. you know let's do some less demanding um hobbies for a change um and you know honestly the timing is probably good with this pandemic um a lot of swims are being canceled so it's nice I don't have anything really to stress about and worry about mm-hmm. right now. Um, but I can tell you 2021, I'll come up with an idea. I don't I'm have anything sure you different, will. but there'll be something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, many of the other extreme athletes that I've spoken to are just they just go bang, bang, bang one thing to the next. Right. And I, don't, I don't think they always take time to savor their achievements and you've got right. a, a great window now to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, For but sure. you do, you are working on a documentary.
1: Yep. We do have um, a documentary. Um, hopefully it'll come out this fall. Um, things are a little up in the air with it's slowing a lot of things down, Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully we're working on it. Um, should be good. It's mostly focused on just the English Channel Swim. That's yeah. kind of the, um, it's not, you know, my whole life story or anything like that, but it um, you have some really great footage of, Swimming and some good storytelling from people who are
0: on my team. Great. Well, we're all looking forward to that being finished and uh, and, and watching that. Um, and is there uh, any any message you'd like to give out to the health work, health workers that are currently manning the front lines of this pandemic?
1: You know, just thank you. Um, we appreciate you and keep up the hard work and the good work and stay stay safe, please. We need
0: you. <laughs> that's great. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time chatting to me. It's just phenomenal. Your story and very inspirational. If we can get, if you can get through breast cancer and do four crossings of the channel, then it makes me feel like I can get through a, a pandemic. So that's been really great. Yes,
1: I hope so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I keep telling myself that too. Like, okay, I did this already once. I can do it again. It's all right. But it's tough. About this. Doesn't make it any easier that's for sure
0: <laughs> brilliant well thanks for your time today sarah
1: great well thank you